What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast on YouTube with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's episode number 43. So who am I going to shout out today? There's a lot of great number 43s across the board in sports. I could have easily shouted out Troy Potamalu, one of the greatest safeties in NFL history who played at the University of Southern California, but I chose not to. I could have easily shouted out Dennis Eckersley, who famously gave up the game-winning home run in Game 1 of the 1988 World Series to Kirk Gibson at Dodger Stadium, but I chose not to. I chose to shout out and honor my favorite number 43, the first dude who popped to my head when I thought of the number. And I'll give you a few hints. He played running back in the NFL for years. He's a little guy. He was a one-time San Diego Charger. He played for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I remember him with the New Orleans Saints because I was a gamer and I played Madden every day after school. And I didn't know any better than to run a halfback screen probably six times a game because every time I dumped it off to this little guy, he found a way to get into the end zone. So shout out number 43, Darren Sproles. Punt returner, kick returner, a weapon for every single team he played for. And if you're a sports fan, you absolutely rooted for Darren Sproles at one point or another. And today, I feel bad if you're not watching this podcast on YouTube because I'm rocking a Clayton Kershaw championship shirt that is an absolute beauty. And I'm also rocking a mustache that I got to tell you the story. I believe there's a story behind every mustache. Some guys rock it because they simply just don't look good without it. Other guys rock it because they probably grew it out in their early teens or late 20s and just can't find themselves the courage to shave that thing 30 years down the road. And there's going to be a point in time when my kids ask me 30 years from now, Dad, why do you have that mustache? Can you just get rid of it? And I'm going to have to sit them down on my lap and say, listen, kids, there's a story behind this mustache. Back in 2020, when you could get away with anything and everything, I woke up at 4.45 in the morning on October 27, 2020, went straight to the airport, and in less than 24 hours returned a fan of the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. And at that game, I didn't find any souvenirs to buy. I didn't even buy a program outside the stadium because I thought $20 was too expensive. But you know what? When I was shaving last week, my beard was getting out of control. I shaved that thing off, but I said, I have to keep something from that World Series celebration. So I decided to keep the mustache that I was smoking cigars with, taking shots of whiskey with, and downing beers with. There's probably still cigar smoke on this thing. And I have to keep it. One day, maybe, I'll gain the courage to shave it, but it isn't going to happen anytime soon. So when you see me with this mustache, just know that this is a world champion mustache. It was there to witness it all. Let's get into the podcast. Lots of football to talk about. We had some great football played over the weekend. Some NFL teams had some giant wins to separate themselves. And then in college football on Saturday, it was crazy. For the first time this year, I actually sat down on a Saturday for seven plus hours and did not move one bit, eyes locked in to some great football being played. 
But let's start with Monday night showdown between the New York Jets and New England Patriots. All football fans across the country are probably thinking to ourselves, we can't sit here for three plus hours and watch a Jets team who hasn't won a football game take on the New England Patriots led by Cam Newton who forgot how to play football over the last couple weeks. And there were probably Jets fans who said, at halftime of that game, we've got to find a way to lose. And that's a tough spot to be in when you're rooting hard for your football team to lose a game because you want to be sitting nice and pretty with the number one pick next draft when Trevor Lawrence is sitting there to be your franchise quarterback for the next decade or so. And all the sports talk radio this week, of course, is the same discussion we've had over the last five years. Should Trevor Lawrence go back to Clemson and avoid being drafted by the New York Jets? We heard it last year. Should Joe Burrow try to find a way to get himself removed from that number one pick so he doesn't end up with a franchise called the Cincinnati Bengals who have been bad for our lifetime? Here's why that discussion is nonsense. Unless you're Eli Manning with a powerful last name that it is, you're not finding yourself getting removed and placed to a different slot than that number one pick. You're not John Elway. You don't have a New York Yankees baseball contract to have as leverage. Trevor Lawrence is not going back to the Clemson Tigers because he wants to avoid being the number one pick by the New York Jets. And he was probably watching that game last night thinking the New York Jets got to find a way to lose because if the Jacksonville Jaguars end up with a number pick, that's when I'll seriously have a discussion with myself whether or not I want to go pro. Not New York, Jacksonville. I have some friends that are Jacksonville Jaguars fans and there's a reason why that franchise has been irrelevant. There have been genuine conversations about the Jacksonville Jaguars moving their entire franchise to a different country to play in London. And Trevor Lawrence does not want to be in that situation. Can you imagine living out a dream of playing in the NFL and you get drafted to a team that says, you know what, we're taking this franchise across the sea to play in London. You got to move your family out to London The only time your family could even see you is if they want to travel out of the country. That's just a bad situation. And I know the New York Jets have been shitty for a good part of the last shit. The last time they won a Super Bowl, Joe Namath was their quarterback. It's been a long time. But they're still in the state of New York, and they will always be the New York Jets. So we should not be having the discussion about Trevor Lawrence, whether or not he wants to be the New York Jets. Because he sure as hell does not want to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. Sorry to my friends who are Jacksonville Jaguar fans, but that's just straight facts. No one wants to play for the most irrelevant franchise in the history of sports. So the Jets found a way to botch that game. Game winning field goal for the New England Patriots. All is right in New York. The Jets are 0-9 and they still have a plus 50% chance to land the number one overall pick to get Trevor Lawrence. Let's move on to Sunday night football. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the newly scumbag Antonio Brown added to the roster. How are they going to play against the New Orleans Saints, that same New Orleans Saints team that has Drew Brees, that quarterback that everyone thinks doesn't have an arm? 
Well, you know what? Drew Brees proved everyone wrong. He threw four touchdown passes, and he also completed 12 different passes to 12 different receivers. The Saints win 38-3. Tom Brady's throwing his helmet on the sidelines, and there's not a prettier sight in sports than when Tom Brady's pissed off whining on the sidelines. For the first time in Tom Brady's career, think about this stat. He went three and out on the first four drives of that football game. And he has started 333 games in the NFL, and that had never happened. He ended up throwing three interceptions. That hasn't happened since 2011. The division rival Saints swept them this year, and that hasn't happened in Tom Brady's 20-year career, never swept by a division opponent. And the Saints took it to him, 38-3, slacking of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm happy about it. Tom Brady spent too much of his time trying to cater to Antonio Brown. Antonio and Brown and him, miscommunication, throws an interception. Tom Brady, this is what you asked for. And the New Orleans Saints right now, if we're talking about favorites to win a Super Bowl, they look like a complete team. If their defense shows out like that, even half of that, Drew Brees might be walking off into the sunset as a Super Bowl champion at the end of this season. Let's not, do, let, let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but I'm going to get too ahead of myself when the New Orleans Saints beat the shit out of Tom Brady. And Drew Brees, like I said, great game. 26 of 32, 222 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And the Saints' alternate white uniforms, I still think those are the best uniforms in all of football. Let's jump to Sunday afternoon. The Seattle Seahawks taking on the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Russell Wilson, the front runner for the MVP through eight weeks. Let Russ cook. And the Buffalo Bills said, nope. People were hot on us from the beginning. They kind of soured on us. But today is when we gain their trust back and beat the bricks off the Seattle Seahawks. Josh Allen had a monster game. 31 of 38 for 415 yards, three touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. And the most important stat of this game, Josh Allen was sacked seven times. But you know what? Seven times he was sacked but didn't turn the football over. And if you watch Josh Allen this year, he tries to make things happen way too much. He throws the football up for grabs. He can't hang on to the football. He's a fumble machine. Not on this day. He dominated from the start, and the Buffalo Bills defense wrecked havoc. On Russell Wilson. Threw two interceptions. Fumbled the ball a couple of times. They turned the Seattle Seahawks over five times. They ended up winning 44-34. The Bills are 7-2 for the first time since 1993. Which was the end of their four straight Super Bowl run. 7-2 Bills. I think they should be back on everyone's radar. Russell Wilson. You can let Russ cook all you want. But at the end of the day, the defense has to come up with stops. And the Seattle Seahawks defense right now, they're one of the worst defenses in NFL history. And they just traded for Carlos Dunlap a couple weeks ago. They traded for Jamal Adams in the offseason. Two dudes can't make up all those 11 mistakes. Seahawks got to clean it up because right now, they're at the top of the NFC West, but they got a tough schedule coming up. Let's move on to the Chiefs. 
The defending Super Bowl champions took on the Carolina Panthers. And I don't know what Matt Rule and Joe Brady are doing over there, but they got Teddy Bridgewater looking like a legit NFL quarterback. And they're giving every single team a run for their money. The Chiefs squeeze out a 33-31 victory. The Carolina Panthers sent out Joey Sly for the 67-yard field goal attempt, which had the distance but was far right. The rest is history. Kansas City's 8-1. Patrick Mahomes, 25 touchdowns to one interception. And everyone should be looking at that dude. If we're trading off who's the MVP frontrunner from week to week, this week Patrick Mahomes back at the top of that list. And he's got the weapons around him. Tyreek Hill is 20 yards away from every single defender when he gets open. Travis Kelsey is by far the best tight end in football. And the Kansas City Chiefs are 17-1, and dating back to last November. Patrick Mahomes, if there's any stat you should care about for a quarterback and his success in the National Football League, Mahomes is 7-1 and when trailing by double digits since 2019. There's no game the Kansas City Chiefs will be out of if Patrick Mahomes is playing quarterback. How many times back in the day did we watch Peyton Manning play? Tom Brady play when we said, okay, they might be down by 14 points, but it's also Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. They're gonna have, if they have the ball last, they're going to win the football game. And Patrick Mahomes is absolutely in that conversation. And on the opposite effect, we have Lamar Jackson. Remember when on Monday night football, the Chiefs went up early and everyone put their hands up and said, oh, it's over. Lamar Jackson, when he falls behind at football games, cannot come back. And the Ravens this weekend played the Indianapolis Colts. They won 24-10, but it was a tough slaying for the Ravens' offense. And for the first time, the Ravens trailed at halftime, and they were able to come back. That was the first time that's happened since week 13 of 2016. And John Harbaugh in his press conference at the end of the game praised Lamar Jackson. Because he knows all that conversation that was going on. When we fall behind, it's hard to come back. They were able to come back against the Colts, one, because... Phillip Rivers is over, over the hill. If you want to see over-the-hill quarterbacks that probably should have retired a year earlier, it's Phillip Rivers. And surprisingly, the Colts are 5-3 and three right now, and we know they play in the AFC South, another shit division, has been a shit division for years. Over the hill is Phillip Rivers. Poor guy. I mean, it's tough to watch him play football. I know he's got a job lined up to coach high school football in Alabama, and that'll be fun to see. But what is not fun to see is watching him play quarterback in the NFL these days. The Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. They were a 14-point favorite, and I knew. I should have known, we should have known from the start that they were not going to cover that spread, even though the Cowboys are shitty and they're starting Garrett Gilbert at quarterback, a quarterback that we haven't heard of. Except I heard of them because I'm a lunatic and I actually follow these dudes. There was a point when every Texas quarterback on their roster was a hot commodity. And Garrett Gilbert, a Texas high school prodigy, went to the University of Texas, was a freshman in the national championship game when Colt McCoy was the starter. McCoy went down. Gilbert got thrust into that situation. And then his career kind of disappeared from then. He transferred to SMU. I think he played in the AAF, XFL, and his first start ever in the NFL was with the Dallas Cowboys. Cinderella story, 
and we should have rode Garrett Gilbert. But the Cowboys up for most of that game. Big Ben went out for a second in the second quarter to an injury. But the Pittsburgh Steelers find a way to claw back and win 24-19 to go 8-0 on the season. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, if there's things we can count on, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers playing down to their opponent's level. And I can't believe that I actually was thinking for a split second that the Pittsburgh Steelers would cover a two-touchdown spread against the Dallas Cowboys. We could talk about the Raiders and Chargers. The Chargers, again, lose in the most Charger way ever. One second's left on the clock. They throw a fade route. Guy catches it in the end zone, bobbles it in the end. The Raiders win. They're 31 they win 31-26. The Raiders are 5-3 and three right now, and the Chargers are 2-6. and 2-6, and six, and I don't know how much longer Anthony Lynn hangs on to that job. And it'll be a hot job to have. If you could come into a job that has Justin Herbert, who looks pretty damn good right now as a franchise quarterback, that's probably going to be the top job on the market this offseason. And if you're the Chargers, I think you need to look directly at the Carolina Panthers, who hired Joe Brady from LSU, who won a national championship with Joe Burrow last year, and hire that guy immediately. If it ain't him, it's got to be Eric Bieniemy with the Kansas City Chiefs, because those are offensive minds, and they could work wonders with the quarterback. If you're a Charger fan, I think you got to be happy that you're 2-6 and six and you keep losing these games because Anthony Lynn cannot hang on to that job any longer. And then probably the most anticipated game this weekend was Miami Dolphins against the Arizona Cardinals. The Kyler Murray to a tongue of Iowa matchup. Two smaller quarterbacks, but two electric quarterbacks. We know how good Kyler Murray is. He was also in that MVP conversation. He had the hot potato at one point. And he's still kind of electrifying things because he has eight rushing touchdowns in eight games. He played out of his mind in this one going 21 of 26, 283 yards, three touchdowns, and also rushing for 106 and a tutter. But Tua Tungavailoa, this is why they chose to bench Ryan Fitzpatrick and give the young guy a try. It wasn't those conversations about, oh, they need to find out if this guy's the real deal or not because they're going to have a top 10 pick in the upcoming draft. No, it's not because of that. They were never going to draft another quarterback after getting Tua Tungabailoa. Tua, when healthy, is a gr- great quarterback. And I'm still, I have, I'm still putting my faith in Tua Tungabailoa because me and my friend John Serta have a bet. I have Tua Tungabailoa and Dak Prescott. He has Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. The first quarterback out of those four to win a Super Bowl gets 100 bucks, and I think Tua and Dak is a good place for me. And Tua showed out in this game, 20 of 28, 248 yards, two touchdowns. He's the fourth rookie quarterback in the last two years to win his first two starts. And the Miami Dolphins have reeled off four straight wins. They're 5-3, and three, sitting behind Buffalo in the AFC East. And Miami is going to make the playoffs. And I'm happy about that. Seeing Tua and the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs is something we're not used to. And Brian Flores, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, probably the most underrated coach in all of the NFL right now. He's working his magic with the Miami Dolphins. They beat the Arizona Cardinals 34-31. And kind of a big loss for the Cardinals because now they sit at 5-3. and three. After the Seattle Seahawks lost in Buffalo, they could have been at the top of the NFC West, the daunting NFC West, but they couldn't pull it off. 
And I'd like one last time, the last game I'm going to talk about is the Minnesota Vikings against the Detroit Lions. Why am I going to talk about that? They're two subpar teams, but Dalvin Cook running back of the Minnesota Vikings, if we don't care about the running back position anymore, if we think it's overvalued, I don't care. The running back position still offers up the best highlights that we have. And Dalvin Cook highlights are magnificent. There was a play where they threw a pitch to the left and on a dime, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook cut up field and got 15 yards out of it. And his last two games from scrimmage, six touchdowns, 478 yards. And I'm pissed off about that because my friend Eric Morales decided he had the audacity to trade Dalvin Cook to John Serta, who's running two back-to-back. He's got back-to-back titles in our fantasy league. And Eric Morales just offered up Dalvin Cook to him a couple weeks back for Joe Mixon, and it is the most idiotic trade in history. John Serta right now is the front runner for the Dynasty title going on a three-peat. Disgusting. I hated how I just had to say that. Disgusting. But that's what we had in the NFL. Who had the biggest win of this NFL weekend? I think it's the Buffalo Bills because they fell off the radar of everyone's radar. And even though Seattle Seahawks defense is terrible, Josh Allen not turning the football over and having a monster game is something to take note. Let's jump to college football. USC started their football season this weekend. A 9 a.m. start against Arizona State. Why the Pac-12 is playing at 9 a.m., I have no idea. No longer Pac-12 after dark, and that's a shame. But USC, I was fired up to see my team in action. And for the first three quarters of that game, I was yelling to the sky once again, Clay Helton, fire the man. He's not the man for the job. He's a 500 coach, coaching one of the most prestigious universities in the country. And for three quarters, USC looked like shit. But the last minute and 32 seconds, Keaton Slovis to the rescue. It's Slovis season. Throws a touchdown pass on a fade route that's tipped up. Brew McCoy catches it. Touchdown SC, onside kick. Brew McCoy recovers the onside kick. And SC gets the ball, and on fourth down, Keaton Slovis threads the needle to Drake London. Touchdown, 28-27 final score. USC wins, and I still think Clay Helton's not the coach for the job. But if USC can somehow run the table in a crazy year like this, and the playoff committee says, you know what? We just got to put in a team from the Pac-12. Because in the Big Ten, they've had too many COVID cases. The Big 12 is so shitty. Oklahoma and Texas shit the bed every week. The SEC is going to have a couple teams, but we got to put a Pac-12 team in, and it must be USC if they're 6-0. So that's what I'm hoping for. But if USC plays like this again next week against Arizona, I don't know what to say. And I think Clay Helton has his job in security for the next year at least because of what's going on. But man, that was brutal, but Slovis to the rescue. And then on Saturday night, I have a bone to pick with this one. Saturday night showdown, Notre Dame, number four in the country, taking on number one, Clemson. Trevor Lawrence on the sideline, can't play because of COVID. And in at quarterback, St. John Bosco, true freshman, DJ Ui Unga Lele. I perfected that name, DJ Ui Unga Lele. And it was a phenomenal double overtime game. Notre Dame probably should have won that game in regulation. They turned the football over too many times. They settled for field goals. DJ had a monster game scoring with Notre Dame. But in the end, that overtime, listen, I need some advice. 
I got a girlfriend these days, and I got to pick my spots of which games I could watch. No longer are the days when I could sit on my ass for an entire game and watch college football. It's just not going to work. So I somehow, my girlfriend's family is Notre Dame fans. I said, hey, this is a big Notre Dame game. We should probably watch it. Went over to her house, watched that game, and the game took five hours. And we were supposed to go to dinner. And I said, oh, it's going into overtime. There's no time on the clock. They just switch off whoever scores first, whoever scores last, the winner. But the overtime lasted literally an hour in itself because of the replay review. Have we gone too far with a replay review? Throw me a bone. Come on. I'm over here putting off dinner every 10 minutes saying, oh, it's about to end. It's about to end, but it's never going to end because they got to review every touchdowns that scored and it takes five minutes to review every touchdown that scored. Somehow we got to find a way to fix replay review because I cannot put up with this anymore. Even when I didn't have a girlfriend, the end of basketball games are terrible to watch and replaying every single score and every single play in college football, it just gets tiring. You lose the momentum. So Notre Dame ends up winning in double overtime, and probably the best part of it, selfishly, was that we got to see hundreds of students bum-rush the field. Notre Dame students came like ants to the middle of that football field when Notre Dame ended up winning. Of course, Twitter went nuts saying, oh my God, in the middle of a pandemic, what are we doing? But let's be honest, that was the most normal thing that we have seen in the year of 2020. Students bum-rushing a football field after a set, uh, upset. And if you want to have playoff implications on this one, Clemson shouldn't be upset about this loss. They had their backup quarterback in who could probably start on any other team in the country. And the playoff committee is going to sit down when they make their final decisions of who gets in the playoffs. And both of these teams are going to be there. Why? Because they want the rematch. They want the rematch with Trevor Lawrence back in this game to see how much of a difference he would make. And I'm excited for that. So that's two teams already in the playoff. Alabama will probably get in. And then I'll keep my fingers crossed that USC will get in, but they probably won't get in. Because Florida trounced Georgia over the weekend. And BYU keeps steamrolling teams. But the playoff this year, I don't know why it's going to be four teams. Just make it eight. Throw a bone to Wisconsin. Throw a bone to a Pac-12 team. I don't know why they can't just say, hey, it's the year 2020. Let's have eight playoff teams. But it's going to be four, and you're going to see a rematch of Notre Dame-Clemson. That's for sure. And the rest, I guess we'll see it play out. But that was a weekend of absolute crazy football. The podcast is back. The NBA made a decision to have their season start on December 22nd because they need those Christmas games, and God knows we all need those Christmas games. I love watching NBA basketball on Christmas. It's a tradition. And when I go over to my uncle's house, they don't really like basketball. They don't watch basketball. But I find that TV and I plop down on that couch after a big old meal. And I love watching from start to finish. Even that shitty 9 a.m. game that they're probably going to have the Knicks playing. But the NBA is coming back. The MLB, they're handing out awards right now. The Rookie of the Years were announced yesterday. Devin Williams, reliever for the Milwaukee Brewers. And Kyle Lewis, rookie for the Seattle Mariners. And today, I think the Manager of the Year will be announced. Who the hell knows going to win that one? But I do know that once they announce the MVP, it should be Mookie Betts. 
Freddie Freeman's also up for the award, but it should be Mookie. And the most baseball news that you're going to hear right now is Tony La Russa, 76-year-old, hired by the Chicago White Sox last week, just pleaded guilty to his second DUI offense, and he apparently told the cop, hey, I'm a baseball Hall of Famer, brother. You see this ring? I'm a Hall of Famer. That's not going to get you out of a DUI. But that's all I got for today. Thank you for tuning in to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers. 